Welcome to the Who Needs Instructions podcast, the podcast that wants to get men talking. So welcome along to another Who Needs Instructions podcast, and I'm delighted to say that today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Dean Stewart. Dean, hello. Hello, Matt. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for joining me today. Now, you've been a recommendation to me uh, from uh, another LinkedIn connection, and I'm getting a lot of good connections on LinkedIn and uh, and some good recommendations. So I'm just going to dive straight in with, first of all, tell me what it is that you do for a living, and then we'll maybe dive a bit further back and find out the journey to where you got to where you are now, if that's okay. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on today. I really appreciate it. I uh, love having these opportunities to share my story. Uh, so what I do is I'm the founder and I run uh, a thing called the Exceptional Leader Academy. And the objective of it is very simply to help businesses and the people within those businesses uh, to achieve uh, the potential that they've got within them and to be the best versions of what they can be. Um, sounds grand, but that's what I do. Excellent. And how did you become the person? I mean, I'm assuming it's it's your business, but how did you how did you get to that? How did you want to you know help people um, achieve the best things they possibly can? Um, it's absolutely entwined in my own personal story. So um, you know, like many people, if not most people. Uh, I probably followed what you might call the sausage machine of, you know, the, yeah, the sausage machine of life. You go to school, you get your exams, uh, O levels and A levels in my day. Um, is it GCSEs and A's and A stars today or whatever they're called? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, then I went on to university, got my degree and uh, got my job, first job. And it was literally a sausage machine process. Uh, I had a little bit in the middle of thinking, well, what, what do I want to be and uh, what do I want to do? But to be honest, I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of followed the process and it took me into my uh, first job as a general management trainee in a big international fashion company, um, part of a, a big conglomerate worldwide. Uh, so it was a great first job, no doubt about it. Um, But it also bumped me up against the realities of working in a big corporate role. Uh, It bumped me up against the realities of uh, what what it is to be working with people who aren't great leaders. (laughs) And to be honest, I didn't cope with it very well. Uh, So I was there for about 18 months. And um, I had some pretty, I had some great experiences. I learned a lot. But I also had some pretty uh, shitty experiences as well, uh, which really, I, I just thought, I don't want this. And uh, um, also, I, I had a bit of the entrepreneurial bug in me. So I had my first idea for a business while I was there, uh, which it was was a catering business. And um, uh, I remember it well. It was called Guzzles. Uh, and the idea was to uh, provide like an upmarket, almost like a gastro mobile pub service so mm-hmm. the sort of food that we almost take for granted nowadays in pubs you know that gastro pub type of food just didn't exist back then and um, it, it was all plastic food and plastic beer etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was you know, be, I guess just starting to think about that wave as it was starting to um, 
grow within the country. And, and I really wanted to be part of that. Uh, but the reality was um, I didn't have any catering experience. <laughs> it was one of those, uh, okay, let's jump in the swimming pool at the deep end and uh, see if we can swim. And uh, uh, the reality was I couldn't. So I did that for about 18 months. Thought, okay, got out of that, having uh, invested some of my dad's money, uh, which he, he gave me as a loan. Um, so I had to pay him back. Um, so uh, I then went off to America for a few months, uh, stayed with my best friend at the time who we'd been to school with. He'd gone out there uh, on a sports scholarship and I went and just, he was living in California and I just basically needed to escape. Uh, I sort of did the year out uh, the wrong way around. So most people at that time would, would were finishing school, doing their year out and then going to university yeah, yeah. You know, and then getting their job. Uh, but I sort of, <laughs> I didn't think about it that way. And uh, I ended up doing it the other way around. Anyway, that, that was great. And I had a fantastic, uh, well, six months, seven months, as it turned out in, in California, really amazing time of my life. Uh, and then I thought, well, I, I better get back to reality and get back and get a job, which, um, uh, I did get back, come back to the UK, but I found it very difficult to get a job. Uh, and it was only with the help of my dad <clears throat> that uh, I ultimately got one. I applied for hundreds and hundreds of jobs and just was getting nowhere. And uh, he was able to leverage a contact and, and, and get me in. Uh, and that was in the advertising and, and marketing business. And I, I worked for this woman who was um, incredibly successful. Uh, she ran a very, very small business. It was basically herself, and, and she just bought in freelance expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned a different aspect of leadership um, with, with that experience. Um, it, was, it was about how to make do and mend more than you know, how to uh, in, invest in big, big projects, which is a sort of very, very different mentality when you're running a small business. So that was, again, invaluable uh, experience that I can look back on, uh, pretty challenging at the time, but it, it, it was my entry point. Uh, and I was there for about, uh, the best part of three years. So it was a, a, a great time. I learned a lot from her and, um, and then the opportunity came for me to, uh, go and join mirror group as a, an advertising sales executive. So okay. I started off at the bottom, uh, over the course of a 15 year period. I rose up to become the advertising director on the Daily Mirror uh, at a time when Piers Morgan was the editor of the Daily Mirror. And I learned yet another different aspect of leadership there um, over that period of time. And um, of course, uh, as I rose up, I my own abilities as a leader were, were challenged and tested in all sorts of ways. I was there for about 15 years, uh, and, and then I got to a point where I thought, well, I wanted something else. It was the dot-com, uh, you know, real bubble was 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 uh, billowing out at the time, and uh, an opportunity came to me to become the commercial director of a startup. Um, I did all my due diligence. I checked all the, you know, the people involved. I knew they were real high-level people. There was a huge amount of investment in the business, um, and it, it it looked like as sure a bet as, as I could, because I was risking my 15 year career, my pension yeah. and everything um, by taking this move. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a move to be taken lightly. Um, so I made, I, I took the decision, I took the job. And nine months later, September the 11th happened, and the investors took fright, withdrew their money, and I was made redundant. 
So I learned another aspect of leadership, many, many aspects of leadership in that short nine months because I was uh, very actively involved working with venture capitalists, um, seeing how they saw the world, um, really seeing what it was like to uh, work with a startup that had significant uh, investment seed capital. Um, so yet another different aspect of um, you know learning on you know what leadership was about from a, another aspect. Uh, then I had to take stock um, because through that period I got married. I had two young kids. Realized I'd not really seen much of my wife or my kids through that period. You know, working in a in a job like the Mirror and then in a startup, they're pretty stressy, high intensity environments, and. Um, so I then decided to sort of take a bit of a step back, try and create some lifestyle type businesses where I got to be with the family a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ultimately took me and my uh, now ex-wife, and there's a clue in, the, in that, um, into uh, running a pub. So back into that catering. So, the, you know, the, the thread comes back to the catering, uh, you know, in my early years um, and we took on a place uh, with a view of turning it into a gastro destination type venue, um, which we did and learned a huge amount again about what it is to lead a business. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's listening, who has um, had that experience of working in a big corporate and being responsible for signing off the salaries at the end of the month or the bonuses at the end of the month, if you're in the sales department, um, you'll know there's a very big difference between doing that when the money's coming out of someone else's bank and doing it when it's your own business. Yeah. And when the money that you sign out for your employees drains the account and then you're looking at what you pay yourself at the end of the month. And when there's not much at the end of the month, believe me, that triggers a whole new way of thinking about leadership and what that means as well. So... You know, that's my background. Um, the pub business, the catering business, the restaurant business wasn't the right business for, for me and my wife. It ultimately was a bit of a catalyst in the breakup of the marriage. Um, but there were other fact, many other factors that went into it. Be wrong just to point it at that, but um, it was definitely a catalyst in it. Um, <clears throat> after that, I got back into the newspaper business uh, but I joined right at the start of the last, um, when the last crash happened. So in November 2007. Um, and instead of, I thought I was joining a company that was growing and expanding. And within three months, I was making my first set of redundancies. Uh, over the course of the next four years, uh, a team, my team, which started out at 160 strong, uh, I had to whittle down to about 90. Uh, I did all of those redundancy consultations myself and uh, I learned yet another aspect of leadership through doing that, uh, which led me to the point where I was finally made redundant. You know, the knife keeps cutting the cake until it finally gets to your level. It got to my level and bang, I was made redundant for the second time. And that's when I made the decision to go into what I'm doing now. But um, I had no experience of, of running a coaching, mentoring type business or a training type business. Uh, I had to learn all of that. Uh, and part of my motivation was, as I looked back and joined the dots, as Steve Jobs said, you can only join the dots looking backwards. Uh, what I'd realized was 
I actually hadn't been a very good leader. <laughs> I'd done my best to be a good leader. I really had. I'd done everything that I thought I should do. You know, I, I, I worked from that principle, treat people uh, the way in which you would like to be treated. I really mm -hmm. did have that as my mantra. And yet with that, I was still actually a pretty crappy leader. Uh, and that has been the basis of my journey since then and, and why I do what I do today. So have you been on, I mean, you know, without calling it, you know, we've, have you been on actual courses that teach you leadership or is it just that you've now created them from the lessons that you've learned over that, um, that corporate career? Oh, a combination of both. So uh, over, the, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, um, sorry, not 10 years, about eight years, uh, I've invested tens and tens of thousands of pounds of my own money in training in various forms. Um, because I realized that through that whole prof uh, professional career, you know, from the day I left university to the day I was made redundant for the second time, um, I can count back and I had four days of training, <laughs> formal training that you would sort of say, yes, that was, you know, taken out of the business, put into a room with a trainer and given some training. It's funny, I spoke uh, on a podcast a little while ago with a guy called Andy Cooper, who hasn't had a similar journey to you, but you know has worked in national newspapers and then been an editor of regional newspapers uh, in the Southwest. And he, he said to me, he's a man of, I don't know, early 50s, without trying to do him a disservice. And he said, 10 years ago, his boss came in and said, oh, I've got this, this life coach, this business coach, and you know, he the, the the feeling in the room was was he doing that for what a silly thing to spend money on and then andy said to me in our podcast recently actually he's the one who should have been laughing at us mm -hmm. and i think there is that now that much it's becoming much more uh, i was going to say acceptable but that's not the right word but it's becoming much more of the norm that actually to have coaching is a really really benef beneficial thing and you know you've learned from that and now you're actually that mentor and that coach yourself aren't you yeah, and I, I think, you know, you, you use that word um, acceptable. Um, I, I certainly went through the same thing. I mean, I can remember in my days at the Mirror, um, it was sort of regarded that if you felt you needed that sort of coaching and training, that was almost a sign of weakness and that mm. actually you weren't up to doing the job. I think this is a pretty common way of understanding the sort of development of, of, of coaching in the business world is that, um, it came to be seen that you know, all the successful sports stars, particularly the individual sports like the tennis players and the golfers, they, the, really, you know, the really successful ones, they all had their own coach. Even though they were amazing players, they all had a coach. And that started to then sort of trickle into the, to the business world. So, okay, well, if these star players need it, why don't our star business people need it? And, and it's, it's, I, I think that is now filtering down into the business, you know, in, into, big, into um, the lower levels of the um, uh, pyramid, if you like, of, of organizations um, much more easily now. It's interesting. You, you said a point there about, um, you know, if it was seen as a, a sign almost of weakness. And that takes me back to the whole how the old-fashioned style 
of how men are or were supposed to be, you know, this stiff upper lip and, and, and be a man and not worry about that kind of stuff. And, and hopefully we are seeing a transition now to, you know, a bit more openness and, and the openness brings in conversations with people and brings in conversations with a coach. I myself have had a business coach um, who, to be fair, I probably threw a few personal things at as well. And uh, she absolutely helped me with those um, because we talked about boundaries at one point. And I was talking about boundaries with with my clients. And then she said, what about boundaries in your personal life? And it was getting into conversations like that mm-hmm. that I found really, really useful. And it's, you know, it's learning from the, your, your personal life and then maybe bringing that into the business world. Um, and, and, uh, do you think that, you know, people talk about work-life balance, work-life blend, these days, that seems to be—it seems to be just the same sort of thing. You know, your job is your life, or your life is your work. You know, is that something you're seeing more of these days, Dean? Um, yeah, if I could answer that in a bit of a roundabout way, if that's okay. Um, mm. When I go back to how I consciously decided to create my boundaries when I was at Gamera, um, I tried to create a boundary between work and, and home life. Uh, uh, yeah, professional and, and personal life. Um, and it was only some years later that I really came to the conclusion that it's just not possible. Um, and the reason that I came to that conclusion was after all of the work and study that I'd done, uh, uh and training that I'd been on around the, the role of our emotions and, uh, you know, why we have emotions and the role they play for us. Uh, and you'll know this, everyone will know this, right? If, if, if you start the day off having had a row with your partner um, at home, uh, which happen, you know, can happen too often, there's no way that you get to work in the right frame of mind. Mm. You know? uh, and you have to be incredibly uh, either well-educated around self-awareness, mindfulness, um, all those sorts of uh, thinking practices to be able to get yourself into that right place, or your initial starting emotional experience then affects the rest of your day. And then the same thing happens when you get home at night. So if you've had a really tough day, you're stressed out, trying to let go of that and not take it back into your personal life, unless again, you're, you know, you've got a a very high level of self-awareness, whether you've had that sort of training or not, the chances are you're going to bring that stress back into your home life. So, um, I think this idea of work-life balance is is actually a a misnomer. Um, it's 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 not really about how you balance work and life. It's how you understand the emotional impact of your working life and your personal life, and how you develop your abilities to not allow your emotional state to adversely impact what you experience at home and what you experience at work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that is fascinating to think of it like that. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a, who's a business mentor and coach and, you know, he is, he's focusing quite a lot on a lot at the moment on the work life balance, but actually it's about, like you say, having the, 
intelligence to understand where you're at when you maybe get home from work and where you're at when you get to work and what you know and, and what's happened before those situations is that something you you talk to guys about quite often well um i'd like to say yes but the reality is no because <laughs> um most guys are still very resistant to this in my experience um i've got my son is 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 27 this year um i think he is more open to it um it's not that he will discuss it with me but what i do know is that he's accessing the sort of information that i didn't access until i was in my 50s um now as a 20 year old and he has been accessing that because of youtube because of podcasts because of you know that sort of um information and access to that information is so much more easily available and it's been pushed there are so many people now who are pushing this idea of self-awareness or um, emotional intelligence or spiritual enlightenment whatever angle you want to come at it from and um so i think you know along with a lot of uh, younger people i don't know whether it's whether you call them millennials or centennials i lose track of what the right word is to be honest um Anyway, there is a there's a sort of a resistance to falling into that sausage machine approach to life that I fell into, and so mm -hmm. many other people fell into, um, and that they have now the options to think about things in a different way, uh, and it's easier for them to access that. Whereas the the guys that I tend to meet who are more of our um, uh, age group, more of mm -hmm. our sort of peer group. They're still bringing with them that uh, baggage, if you like, or that approach to thinking that was prevalent when they came through the system. So there's still a lot of resistance with men um, in a certain age group, I find. Yeah, it, it, again, something you touched on there, you know, the, the emotional intelligence for, again, let's say our peer group, it can almost be seen as a, a sign of weakness or softness. And I hope that people are starting to realize that actually it's an absolute strength to have that as part of your, you know, your own armor, your own makeup. Um, and the old school, I, I remember my first sales director, what a, what a human being he was. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he was absolutely bonkers to start off with, but yeah. he would literally shout at me. And it was the least motivating thing I could ever have gone through yeah. and just made me scared witless of the fella. Um, and, but he was proper old school. He felt like ex military. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that side of things is so outdated and doesn't work anymore. And especially if you're a guy of our age and you've got staff coming in who are in their twenties and thirties, those guys won't take to that kind of stuff these days, will they? Well, you sort of say that, but my daughter is a couple of years younger than my son. She's 25 and she joined a startup. She, she, uh, working in the fintech triangle in uh, in London, mm -hmm. and it was run by a really young guy. Uh, every I don't think anyone in the business was over thirty two. I think was the senior age in in the business. And she would come back and tell me stories of the way in which that company was being led, which were just horrific. 
Really? Yeah, it was absolutely all of the stereotypical um, old style leadership approaches that you've been referring to in this conversation. And I think there's a lesson in there as um, that, you know, the old patterns are still being repeated. Uh, my personal theory about that is because the people who control the money, that's how sure. they want to see businesses being run. Mm. Let's just change tax slightly then. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, with the with who needs instructions, what I want to achieve is to get guys talking to each other. Yeah. So outside of work, you know, how important is it to get together as a, uh, and I'm talking specifically about getting together as a group of guys, because, uh, you know, that that's my audience. But how important have you found that? Have you had that sort of, you know, that, that friendship group around you? Or was when you were in, you know, when you were ingrained in the corporate world, did that really, was that not part of, uh, of your everyday life? No, it was. I mean, I, I've, I've always been a sportsman. So, um, you know, until I had to give up for physical reasons, I played football. I was always part of a football team. Um, I played golf as well. So I was always part of a golf club. Um, and, and so I've, I've always had that sort of male uh, companionship, friendship in my life. Uh, I've always valued it. Uh, but to be honest, it made no difference because uh, in terms of this level of conversation that you and I are talking about here today, mm. because what we talked about was the safe things. Yeah. So we talk about, you know, and, and, and this still goes on today, right? So guys mm -hmm. will say, yeah, I've got mates. I talk to them. The issue is not whether guys are talking to each other. It's what they're talking about and the depth to which they're going. And so in my experience still today, guys are very happy to talk about business. They're very happy to talk about careers. They're very happy to talk about sport or music or girls or whatever it might be. But actually what they're still not prepared to talk about is how confident they feel, um, how they feel about dealing with people who are emotional in the workplace. I think there's still a huge barrier when it comes to that. And I've, I've, I've got some evidence around that. So um, a few years ago, uh, I decided to run some uh, courses on developing self-confidence. Uh, and I, I ran them in London uh, and I did the advertising for them on Facebook mm -hmm. and um, I got some help in developing the advertising that I put out on Facebook from another guy um, who was very experienced in running events um, and um, so uh, I told him what my objective was uh, was to, to help all people um, so one of my things uh, and, and it goes my personal um, experience and story is that actually part of the reason I was I showed up as a as a bad leader was actually I lacked a lot of self-confidence but I had I put on a mask of confidence because I had to mm. um, because in the environments I worked for me to show that I wasn't confident would literally have been professional and career suicide so I put this mask of this veneer of confidence on and what I was able to then understand and realize as I look backwards was that actually a lot of my negative behaviors that had caused me to uh, be this ineffectual leader had come from this, the fact that I was 
lacking confidence. So I thought, I can't be the only one. In fact, I knew I wasn't the only one. So yeah. I decided to put this program out there. I ran the advertising. It was gender neutral. And I had some really good response. But in terms of responding to the advertising, 85% of the people who responded to the advertising were women. And of the people who came to the events, 95% were women. Crazy. So there's still this barrier that men have. So, you know, men still go and play football. They still go to the golf clubs. But my, my question is, what are they really talking about? Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that, that sits, that's why I wanted to start Who Needs Instructions is to get men having, you know, get men talking, but actually let's talk about the stuff that really matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, from personal experience, I, I, I didn't have that and I now do have that. And my God, does it make such a difference? Yeah. I, I have a very small WhatsApp group with with two of my closest friends in it. And I've never had conversations like it with other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are absolutely open we are open books to each other and uh the the dynamic and and the friendships that's grown out of that has been so so powerful yeah that i know if i have an issue i can go and speak to that group of guys those two guys and and they will give me all the support and likewise you know if i if they're having a bad day they'll reach out Mm -hmm. and that is so so rare and it just well i say it drives me nuts i've only just discovered it in the last sort of you know i would say three or four years yeah yeah and i'm in my late 40s mm-hmm. um these guys are, are, are younger than me but just having that ability to to be so open with them yeah. and, and it is unusual for us still you know I'm, I'm sitting here telling you this like it's you know like it's revelationary but it shouldn't be it should just be part of our everyday conversation and, and that's what we need to change i think yeah i i agree with you and i, I think um I think this is it, it's it can be very difficult to talk about the difference between men and women and it can get you into a lot of trouble when you try and do so but um, I think this is an area where it needs to be brought out into the open because um, women are well it's again I'm going to sort of say it's, it's dangerous to generalize but I think in general most women are more at ease talking about these sorts of things than men are Mm-hmm. they're more open to the idea that um, it's beneficial for them to uh, look outside of themselves for development uh, and personal or professional development. And as, as this unfoldment happens of, um, you know, this, this idea of, uh, well, f- well, first of all, you've got the whole sort of, conscious approach to gender equality in the workplace and and making sure that you know women have a place on the board and it's equal etc etc and you've got that whole Mm -hmm. driving force happening yeah um as that momentum grows I, i think there's a real danger for men and i really believe this and that is that because women have also got this more natural approach or or more openness to talking about the things that are important and not putting on these veneers and and masks and and being able to go inside themselves and say, yeah, look, I need help here. I need to develop in this part of myself. We could see a whole reversal thing 
going on where actually because men don't open up they end up getting left behind <laughs> do you know that's the first time anybody's ever said that to me and it, it absolutely makes sense so i tested part of my theory out there's a, a very very successful woman i was introduced to just the other week and we got talking in this space and I said to her that I had this theory. It's, it's purely my theory. There's no scientific basis to it. It's my gut feel. And what I said to her is this, is that because women on their life journey, their, their, their experience of life is they have to go through many more changes, fundamental changes than men do. So the biggest change that men really go through is that sort of transition you know, that teenage transition from boy to man. Mm -hmm. um, that's about the biggest transition that men go through. Mm. And yeah, it's, 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 you know, you get the moodiness and all that sort of stuff that goes with that. But once men have been through that, they're on a pretty straight track. Now, if you compare that to the life journeys that most women go through, it's very, very different. Most women have to transition many different changes uh, and even if you think about the 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 female journey through puberty is 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 far more extreme the changes are way more extreme than uh, a guy a, a a boy to man will feel yeah mm, yeah um therefore i think and again I, I have to reiterate this is my own personal theory you know gut feel intuition whatever you want to put on it is that it's that sort of life experience that women have of having to go through these you know imagine what it's like um as a woman where you go from maybe having a career um deciding to get married or not but then deciding to have a family um your whole body changes again your role changes as a mother far more extreme than a man's uh transition from a you know into fatherhood mm -hmm. um, and then as the children sort of grow and develop the level of dependency that the woman have, uh, that the children have with the with the woman starts to change in a much more dramatic way than it does with the father. So, you know, you put these different journeys together side by side, and I think it lends to the idea that it opens women up to the fact that you have to change, evolve to keep moving on much more than men. Is my personal theory. Yeah, that's a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> I would say that I am, I have changed fairly dramatically in, in you know, so let's say the last sort of three, four years. Yeah. Um, and I don't know many men that go through that. And I see a lot of women, uh, I, I say a lot of women, I see women who are later in life going through quite a drastic change, potentially brought around by, you know, uh, a relationship breakdown. Yeah. And the women come again. You see, from what I see on social media, the women come through so powerful, mm. and they, you know, they go through this transformation. And there mm -hmm. is this wonderful movement of powerful women all supporting each other. Yeah, and I, I think that is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, the fellas, we need to be on a, on a similar kind of track. And uh, and the way I think we go about that is by being very honest with each other. And having these conversations or we're going to get left behind yeah well i'm i'm absolutely on that same page and um 
I think uh, it's it's about recognizing that you're on a journey, you know. Um, the journey for a man and a woman will never be the same, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but most men, in my experience, don't think of life as a journey. They think of it as something they've got to get through. Yeah, it can be fun, you know. There's still a lot of fun to be had along the way. <laughs> there, there is, but you've got to make the decision to have that fun. And Absolutely. For, for, a, for a lot of guys, it's like, how do I sort of navigate this and, um, you know, get through all the, you know, shit and rubbish that, that's on the way? Absolutely. Um, and, and, of course, that is just a perspective. Now... Dean, you've got, uh, you, you're an author, you're a published author, and I'd like to say thank you very much. You did send me a copy of The Thinking Revolution, which I believe is your latest book, is that right? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's about uh, three, four years old now. Um, okay. So uh, uh, it's been out for a while. It's, it includes all of my sort of basic theories of, of everything that I've, I've learned and pulled together that form the basis of the programs that I run within the exceptional leader academy um so you know I, I was i was thrilled to write that um it is it's actually my third book so um mm -hmm. my first book is uh it's a properly published book and, and put together but it's an ebook so i did i never got it as a properly paper copy type book uh the first paper book that i published was actually called resourceful me um and and that was one of the hugest moments in my life because um, as a kid, um, I always remember being told by some influential people in, in my life at that time that I was no good at writing and I had no imagination. <laughs> um, and when I got the first copy of that book from the publisher, um, I cried and I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. I can hear yeah. it. Um, and I think, you know, that's, for me, that's, what this whole thing about guys talking about is is about it's about allowing those emotional experiences to be something you can talk about and not being afraid of it you know and emotions life if if we had no emotions we'd have no experience of life you know um, almost like going through it like robots exactly exactly mm. and so you know you can't cut out the bad stuff because if you cut out the bad, your experience of the bad stuff, if you cut out the good stuff, you know, you, 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 you've got to develop. This is why I always come back to it's, it's your ability to understand, be aware of your emotions, understand what role they're playing and stop being frightened of them, embrace them and be open to talk about them with whoever. Let me. I've got. I'd like to end podcast the podcast with four questions. Okay. There's some. There's some big ones in there, but there's some. Well. There's some joviality to be had as well, hopefully. Right. <laughs> so let me hit you with question number one. Yeah. What big one? What do you think it takes to be a man in the 21st century? Wow. What does it take to be a man in the 21st century? Um, well, I'm I'm gonna stick by my guns of what I've really been saying through through this. I think being a man today is actually about knowing. That strength comes from showing your vulnerabilities. The person I learned most about this from, and 
some of the listeners you know, may, may know this name, Brené Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she's really made her name around talking around the importance of being able to show your vulnerability. Um, and I always remember when my kids were born, I felt so vulnerable. Um, I had no idea whether I could be, I was going to be a good dad or not, you know, um, and I can remember sort of shoring myself up, like, you know, rather than opening up, I, I wrapped myself in more layers of these masks and, um, uh, you know, self-protections or, um, that to try and cover this feeling of lack of confidence around, you know, whether or not I was going to be a good dad, you know, uh, because I didn't understand that we're on this evolving journey of life. Becoming a parent is part of that evolving journey. It's going to test you. You know, it's going to, it's going to cause you to face up to your um, demons, to the things that scare you the most. Mm. Um, and actually, it's, it's only in, in facing up to those things and taking those challenges on that you come through them and, and you grow and you didn't become the person that you can be, be you, you, that you can be. So for me, being a, a man in the 21st century is about embracing that idea of the journey, about embracing the fact that you're not perfect. You know, you are going to come up against things that scare you. And it's, you're a human being like everyone else. Um, you've got emotions. It's how you embrace those, how you recognize what those emotions are uh, trying to do for you. You know, what is the purpose of that emotion? What is fear? Why do we have fear? You know, uh, and rather than being scared of fear, we actually can embrace it so that we can learn from it and move past it. Because it's only as we move through the first layer of fear that we can then go on to the next experience, which will bring out the next wave of fear and we keep going. And actually, the, the better we get at taking on the things that scare us most, the better we become at overcoming the things that stop us from doing the things that we want to do. Well, fantastic answer. Thank you, Dean. Uh, next question. Who has inspired or who's been the most influential person in your life? Oh, very, very difficult question because I've got to be honest. In the last eight years since I've been on this journey, I could name hundreds. Okay. I mean, I literally hundreds. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on a couple. Please. Um, two are personal and one is a, a really well-known name. So I'll start with a really well-known name and, and that's Carl Jung, the, the psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I'm a great um, student of his work. I've read a lot of his stuff, but I wouldn't say I'm an academic student of his work. But he has a phrase and it's ab- since I came across this phrase, it absolutely opened my life up. And the phrase was this, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And when I came across that, I just went, wow, it literally blew my mind because I was able to then see all the things in my past where I had been blaming circumstances Mm. rather than really accepting that this was stuff in my own unconscious that was manifesting itself in my experience of life. The second one was around the time of my second redundancy, my life really fell apart. My marriage broke up. I was made redundant. Um, a couple of years earlier, 
my mum had died. Uh, my dad was seriously ill um, and, and would die just a few months later. And I was, at that moment, they call the dark night of the soul, um, mm -hmm. where you sort of, I don't know, I hope you've never been there, um, but it's like when you think things cannot get any worse. Um, and I was very lucky to have a friend, uh, her name was Anne, who's, who basically really opened up this doorway of saying, get help, you know. Um, and she was the one who opened up that doorway to me to start coming down this, this path. So I'll always be, be grateful to, to Anne for doing that and inspiring me to do that. Uh, and then the last, the, well, not the last one, but the third one that I'm going to mention, um, even though I achieved great success in life, in all sorts of life, I was pretty good at sport. I, um, I represented um, like my county, North Wales at golf. Um, I got to a reasonable level of football. Um, I did pretty well in my um, professional career, you know, getting to the level I did. But through all of that, I can't consciously remember ever being told by anybody that I was any good. I don't remember anybody putting their arm around me and saying, Dean, you're really, really good. Until... I joined uh, a program run by a guy called Andy Harrington, who runs a, uh, he, it's, it's in abeyance at the moment because of COVID, but it's called the Professional Speakers Academy. Mm -hmm. And I joined that because I needed to develop my ability to speak publicly. And in a moment when I was on one of his events, and I, I became one of his coaches, and he sort of metaphorically put his arm around me and said, Dean, you're really good at this. And I was, I was in my mid-late 50s. And it was the first time that I can consciously remember anybody doing that in my whole life. That means so much when someone says that to you, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you for those answers. What sort of legacy would you like to leave, Dean? Well, that's why I'm doing this business. So my whole why, my reason, my raison d'etre for doing this is to leave a legacy that I made a difference in the world, that I didn't just sort of come into this world, exist, and then pass out of it without learning something from it and contributing to the next layer of unfolding. And for me, that's what the Exceptional Leader Academy is about. You know, that's why I'm so open about saying, you know, I'm not doing this because I was a fantastic leader. Follow my example. I'm doing this because I'm saying I was a crap leader. I hurt a lot of people along the way because I didn't know what I was doing. But I've now, through huge amount of investment, learned about how to become a good leader. And that's why I now share that because I want to make that difference. Right. Last and most important question. Are okay. you ready for this one, Dean? Yeah, I am. Can you tell me your best dad joke, please? My best dad joke? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so brain has now gone into panic scramble, okay? Does with so, everybody, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm desperately trying to think of my um, best dad joke. Um, all right, so this was, a, uh, this was a joke my dad used to tell. Now, my dad was a really good joke teller. 
so he he could always be the life and soul of a party and and um I've never regarded myself as a good joke teller, but I always remember him telling this joke. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell it. This woman uh, goes to the pet shop. She's, she's an old woman. Her husband's died. She's living on her own and she wants a bit of company. So she goes to the pet shop and uh, asks, says to the pet shop owner, you know, I'm, I'm looking for some company. What do you recommend? And the pet shop owner says, I've got this talking parrot. He'd be absolutely perfect for you. So the woman buys the parrot, gets him home, and as she you know, puts it down in his cage, and she's got this beautiful house, and the parrot takes a look around and goes, wow, what a fucking amazing place. I've never lived in a place like this before. And the woman says, hey, I don't tolerate language like that in this house. If you say that again, I'm going to put you in the freezer. So she moves him from the lounge and takes him into the kitchen with her. And as she gets into this beautiful kitchen, granite, uh, work surfaces, pristine, glistening white cabinets, shiny chrome taps, the parrot lets out a whistle and goes, wow, this is fucking amazing. I've never seen a place like this before. So the woman says, I warned you. You're going in the freezer for two minutes. So she pulls, takes the parrot, puts him in the freezer. In the freezer, the parrot sees a frozen chicken and says, Jesus, what did you say? <laughs> uh, that's, that's one from your dad that's going to be passed down the ages, yeah? Well, I... I to be honest, I, I don't even try with my kids because it's like the minute I start to even talk about jokes, they have that look. You know, the <laughs> eyes go up, that tut comes out. Oh, not again, Dad. You know, so I don't even bother now. So I've never even told them that one. The worse, the better, as far as I'm concerned. The worse, the better. <laughs> uh, I'll take that as a backhanded compliment, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Dean, listen, um, just before we go, how do people get in touch with you if they would like to, please? So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, very easy to get in touch with me there. So it's D-E-N-E-S-T-U-A-R-T. Uh, one of the great things about that name is it's pretty unique. So whether mm. you put that on Facebook, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, so you can get, th get through to me, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, or if you want to get to me through my email address, it's dean.stuart at exceptionalleaderacademy.com. Which, of course, I will put in the show notes for everybody to see as well. Dean, I really want to thank you. That it, it was a really, it was quite a deep conversation and I really enjoyed it. You went where I, I was hoping you'd go. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. That was that was brilliant. And I hope that guys out there are listening and learning from your words. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity because this is what I love talking about. Thanks for listening to the Who Needs Instructions podcast. We release a new episode every week. So make sure to subscribe and we'll speak to you again soon.